Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we're looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. I'm Pete Wright, and my kingdom for a verifiable excuse to start calling you Reindeer Games. (laughs) I'll work on that. Uh, (laughs) Today we're talking about Minute 43, which begins with a demand to kneel and ends with a ticking clock. Back on the show, it's Father David Mowry, chaplain of the Movies by Minutes community. Hello, Father David. Hello. You know, I'm sorry. I'm a little sore because I tried to uh, force my congregation to kneel using a a staff (laughs) that an ancient alien warlord gave to me. And everyone in church took turns standing up and roundhouse kicking me in the face. So (laughs) it just doesn't play. No. Good to know. Doesn't play. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a good lesson learned, I suppose. (laughs) No subjugation in the church. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, my. All right. Our fight is continuing. Uh, Steve continues holding his own. I mean, the minute starts right away with with Loki approaching him. You know, he's just thrown Captain America um, a little ways. And then he holds him down with the end of his uh, staff and demands him to kneel. And, of course, Steve isn't going to have it, grabs the staff, and the fight continues. He That roundhouse kick to the face is pretty fantastic. I like the way the fight plays. I mean, they, you know, Cap is strong, but it does show us that this Asgardian is stronger. And I, I like the way that we really are getting a sense of that, even though Cap, you know, I mean, he keeps getting up ready to punch again. So, so it works well. Because you can't make freedom kneel. No, that's a good T-shirt. Don't freedom. Freedom doesn't freedom kneel. Does, I, that mutt, that has to be a T-shirt out there somewhere in the world. Okay, I'm working man, on oh it. Man. God, give me a okay, minute. All right. <laughs> I do like that Captain America leaves open the possibility of kneeling in the future. However, <laughs> not, not today. today. I, right. I've considered a request and rejected it, but we'll table it for future discussion. Right, and uh, th- there could be room for that. I, I wonder if that will happen. <laughs> some point. I can fit some kneeling into my schedule on Tuesday. Does that work for you? (laughs) It does make me wish that at some point during this fight, I don't know, I don't want to overdo it, but it kind of would be fun if he said, I could do this all day. Like, you know, we don't get that in here. It's not going to be for a while, but. Does Does he have that line in Avengers? I don't think he'll say it again until, uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember. The whole internet is yelling at us right now. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. We're all being idiots. I, it's definitely endgame when the time travel is happening. I cannot place it in Winter Soldier or Civil War. In, no, in Civil War, I'm, it's when he and Tony are fighting. Yes, yes, yes. In the, uh, in the Hydra bunker. Right. But, uh, but that may be the only other time. Real time, real time research. He says it in the first Avenger. He says it in Civil War, and he says it in Endgame. He does say it in this yeah, movie. Okay. No, he said the the first Avenger. Oh, oh, oh the first Avenger. the first Avenger. Yeah. The right. first singular yeah, first Avenger. Avenger. <laughs> Sorry, right? Not <laughs> Wait, the Avengers. They screwed that up. That's not me. They screwed yeah. that up. He titled it not wrong. Not to be confused. With uh, yeah, he says, I could do this all day. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, it's a great moment. <laughs> it's the best moment. <laughs> so now, as far as the fight is going, I mean. Loki's not moving too fast. He's just kind of moving. He kind of w- walks around. He, you know, is, is uh, he walks over to Steve, holds him down with the scepter, gets kicked, 
And then, you know, he kind of knocks Steve again. He kind of isn't moving that fast. He's just kind of walking around as he's fighting Steve. And that made me wonder, why does Natasha say, guy's all over the place? It's like, no, is he though? not really? <laughs> yeah, I was expecting the fall when watching this movie. I was expecting the fall of like guys all over the place. And then he throws Cap and to cut back to Natasha and for her to go, oh, and try to blast him there. Oh, it's all it's all this pantomime theater that Loki is like, oh, no, I'm the bad guy. Somebody better stop me. Oh. Her line would make sense if his holographic, like his illusion versions of himself were still standing mm-hmm. there. That might be a little too uh, uh, literal. The guy's all over the place. Literally, he's all over the place down there. There are so many. Uh, would have been too much. <laughs> but this is where we get the Sorry. <laughs> what would it take to confuse them? <laughs> <laughs> I can't do anything. I'm completely bamboozled. <laughs> I've been trained for well, you know, it's interesting. Trained for assassination. <laughs> it's surprising though, Loki, I mean time and time again we have seen him use knives that he kind of um he apparates uh you know to to throw at people. And it's interesting that through this whole fight, he doesn't ever do that as if he kind of knows that he's got Steve where he wants him and uh, is just using the staff. So, it, it, I mean, to that end, I think that is kind of interesting. I think there's also an element of pride in this. Um, trying to get Cap to kneel is Loki trying to salvage some of his philosophical high ground from earlier. And if I can get the guy who stood up to me and is acting the hero if i can get him to kneel then i win the moral philosophical victory and so there's there's a lot of wounded pride in this as well because loki loki's just he's kind of all over the place in, in mentally and emotionally he he's very unstable in this movie and therefore he's not putting his best foot forward and really leaning into his strengths because again i think he's, he's trying to be something that he's not and that comes out with him using the staff instead of seeing him use daggers as he is accustomed to it probably also speaks to the intentions at this point. He's not trying to necessarily kill the Avengers, although I don't know why that would be a problem if he happened to take one right. out. <laughs> right, but, but accidental. But, right. But his goal at this point is to kind of get caught. And so, yeah, I don't know. I guess I, I guess maybe that's another reason why he's going the, I, I'd rather just beat you up and continue trying to get you to kneel until I finally get caught rather than actually try killing you. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really uh, thought about that, but it definitely makes sense. And of course... This is when Tony arrives. Uh, it's, I suppose, the reason that we needed Natasha to say the guy's all over the place is just to give us a chance to be in the cockpit with her so that we could see Tony taking over, um, uh, you know, the, the tech inside there as he uh, hijacks the PA system and, of course, turns uh, shoot to thrill on as he blasts it down across the courtyard and uh, really hits Loki with quite the blast that looks like finally somebody is here who can actually hit Loki. How does, how does the, you haven't, we, we haven't really had a chance to talk with you about Iron Man in this film yet, Father David. Do you like how he's written in this film? This is the first time we've kind of get uh, different hands on the character. Do you like the way he plays? And do you like the way that uh, by the time we're getting to this point with him in the film, do you like seeing how he's used? He represents a 
good theme in the movie, which is you know, symbolized by the very on-the-nose symbolism of Stark Tower becoming Avengers Tower. But, you know, it's a comic book movie. That's fine. And it moving from <laughs> that individualistic, I'm going to do everything, I'm the best kind of mentality to I can be the best on a team mentality, which I think that's as much growth as we can afford Tony Stark in this movie. <laughs> he doesn't become a team player. He just becomes the star player on the team. But that, that's something. He's on the team, at least. <laughs> so I think that speaks to uh, the kind of he and Cap represent the two competing dynamics that you need for the Avengers to work. On the one hand, you need the the individualistic superhero like Tony Stark, who is powerful on his own, who is capable of solving a lot of problems on his own. Because if you have if you don't have that, you don't have the Avengers. If you just have people who are okay, like a team of Black Widow and Hawkeye level people, makes for great television. Uh, arguably for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but doesn't make for a movie. They're not Avengers-level responses. On the other hand, you have Cap, who represents that communitarian aspect. That Because uh, Cap, in the last movie, yes, he was the first Avenger, but he was in the context of a team, that he had a uh, supporting cast around him who played off of him and that he supported in turn. And he represents the team-building dynamic you need to have the Avengers work. And so how this whole Avengers initiative is going to happen comes down to the interplay between these two characters. Uh, I would argue just to look ahead to next week's minute, I think Thor represents the third dynamic, which is just raw power. Uh, you need to have not only the individualism, but balanced by the communitarianism, but then you need to have the, the ability to do stuff, the, to show up and make things happen, which is what Thor represents. And it's the fight in the forest represents those three things beginning to harmonize around the, uh, the setup of the Avengers. I like that. And, and, and seeing how each of them do end up kind of playing their part, I, I think there's, uh, there's an interesting element to that. And I suppose as much as I personally struggle with kind of the, the heroes all fighting each other in the forest, uh, you know, I always roll my eyes a little bit about, uh, about that, even though I know it's very much part of the history of the comic books and everything. But I suppose that there is that element of those different angles kind of coming together, almost like those different archetypes kind of figuring out how, how if we're puzzle pieces, how can we fit together to actually represent one thing moving forward as opposed to three separate things moving forward on our own. And, and there is this is starting to set up a little bit of that dichotomy between Cap and Tony. And it's something we I'm sure we'll talk about later, which is that, uh, you know, how does Tony see himself next to Cap? Like, how does Cap see himself next to Tony? My my read on it is that Cap doesn't really do much comparison uh, between himself and, and Tony, and Tony very much does and, and wants to maintain that sort of, I'm the team leader, everything I know about you is because you were frozen for 70 years and you were buds with my dad, and also you're not going to just show up and show me up. Like, I have strength, even though I get all my strength from billionaire, industrialist, uh, philanthropist, you know, super genius and Iron Man, and not what is of the flesh in Captain America, right? He is, he is no uniform at all. He is strength. Tony has to get it from a suit. And, and I think that is something that this movie sets up and leads to 
Again, obviously, we know where that leads, but uh, I, I think it's I, I think it's interesting, and it kind of starts at this moment because they're showing up in dress. Yeah, you start having them play off of each other because the other thing I love about this scene is the contrast that's established between how Cap enters the scene and how Iron Man enters the scene because Captain America jumps into the middle of a crowd to save someone and stands in the midst of the people who need to be saved which is going to be his thing in this movie that that is how he's going to slot into the Avengers is he is going to be the one helping the people on the ground Iron Man appears from the sky calls attention to himself by uh, commandeering the PA system on the Quinjet which is amazing I love that so much but it's all <laughs> calling attention to himself and how he stands apart even when he fires at loki he does so from the sky whereas cap does from below and he does so by reflecting loki's blast back at him tony overpowers him with those surprisingly effective repulsor blasts i i am a, a little shocked at how well that works but maybe loki is deciding like okay now it's time to go to to phase two of this plan. But I love the contrast in their uh, in their appearances. Oh, please let's let's not add another phase in, in this yeah. movie. We, go. we have oh, we already have phase one, phases. phase two with the World Security Council. Plus, we have the phase one, phase two of the movies. Oh, that's true. And now oh, we've yeah. got phase one and phase two of of Tony's plan or Loki's plans. Oh, so many phases. Oh, that, all right, then this is step B of Loki's plan. <laughs> step B. I like it. I, and that actually, I, I think that makes sense because it is a very, it's an interesting moment to have Iron Man show up with as such brute force as he does. I mean, he flies in like a rocket, blasts Loki, Loki gets thrown back into the stairs, and and then Iron Man, he lands, and again, uh, making note of all the poor people who have to continue repairing spots where iron man comes into hot but here's another one um but he he basically takes out every weapon that he has and points everything at loki and then of course uh you will start right here tony's nickname tracker number one reindeer games this is where <sighs> starts we'll count these as we go through the movie uh, but loki backs down he dissolves his uh his i guess we'll call it his i don't know if there it's, it's kind of a, a war outfit but it's also kind of his his kingly outfit you know um but he basically goes back to his midgardian outfit we'll just call it and he backs down and it is kind of an interesting thing that i i always am like well he's he was holding his own pretty well i wonder why he quits right here but Knowing that it's a, this whole thing is a setup anyway, we've got more Avengers here, and he's kind of at a point where he's like, you know, I mean, it hurts. It's it doesn't hurt a lot, but it hurts enough where I'm just like, you know what? We'll just call it good right here. <laughs> I guess that's where we are, right? I'm I'm mildly inconvenienced by these Midgardians, so <laughs> I feel I feel a little chafed. So perhaps we can just end it here. <laughs> yeah, is that what it is? The, yeah, the chafing well, line has been crossed. The chafing line has been crossed because you, because the chafing line is the only line you need to cross to be taken onto the plane. <laughs> is that it? That is the just the chafing line is the mm, distraction mm. line. Distraction achieved. <laughs> a little rough around the edges. Distraction achieved. Well, and and that's fair because maybe again because Clint has divulged all these secrets, Iron Man kind of is the best thing Shield has 
right now in, in terms of reliable, deployable uh, assets. And so if Iron Man is here, great. I have done the distraction thing. They've they've played their best card right now because it seemed because they're out maybe that's one of the reasons why they wanted to have it at the opera house they make it more unlikely to deploy the hulk with all the potential civilian casualties right you know that's interesting thinking about who fury thinks that he has at this point i mean i'm honestly surprised that in the videos that uh, are kind of the all the clip reels the highlight reels for each of the heroes that that colson delivered to tony back in stark tower i'm surprised thor was even included because what makes them think that they could ever get that guy back to fight with them you know it really yeah. should have only been tony and hulk and uh, and Captain America, and then I guess, you know, you throw in Hawkeye and Natasha, but of the super beings, it's really just uh, Hulk and Captain America as the only two potential people, unless, I mean, he maybe has Carol Danvers on the wish, uh, on his wish list, uh, knowing that he's probably not going to get a response from her, but still, like, that's probably all he has. <laughs> it's like a wedding list. <laughs> right. Like, Do you think we'll I'll send the Tony? invite. Yeah. Okay. So who, who are we going to put at the same table as Tony? Who? Th- it's exactly. <laughs> it has to be just so he doesn't like being uh, handed things. So we got to keep that in mind. Uh, oh my god. That's right. You know, Tony. Just because we have Tony, you know, we'll get Elon Musk and the guy from Oracle. They'll show. Uh, and who can we seat uh, them with? Just themselves. Just make their own little billionaires <laughs> right, table nobody. off in the corner and just right. let, let's ignore them. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah that, I think uh, I would say that Coulson just includes the highlight reel from Thor because he was there and Coulson's a nerd and like, well, this is pretty neat. I'll throw this into the sizzle reel, too. Uh, I don't know if he got clearance <laughs> to put that in there. It's it's a funny thing when you really think about it. I mean, it's only here because we know on the outside that it's a movie about the Avengers and that Thor will be here. But it. As I think about it more and more, I'm like, it's the weirdest thing to include because they have no way to contact him. He disappeared. There's no sign that he's ever going to be back. It's been several years now. And uh, yeah, it just makes me wonder. It's like, is that just... His girlfriend is nowhere to be seen. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she won't be back for, well, quite a while. So yeah, it is it is interesting that uh, they do that. But yeah, to your point, though, Tony is kind of the biggest thing. And so... Maybe that's another reason why Loki stops. He's like, okay, I drew out the big guns. Clearly, I have succeeded in my uh, in my um, distraction, and now it's time for them to take me. I like it. Mm-hmm. I, I also just love the light bleeding effect on Loki's illusion magic. It as as the the horns and the the green finery go away. That that effect works for me in communicating how Loki's magic works. And they keep that kind of uh, visual language consistent throughout the the movies. It does look nice. I, I like the way they do that as well. Uh, we didn't. We haven't really noted this, but the scepter goes flying off somewhere. Obviously, they're going to get it. But it is funny that it's completely dropped mm-hmm. as 
an element at this point <laughs> right. until Nobody much later when it's suddenly they have it on the helicarrier. But it's just one of those things where, yeah, where does the scepter disappear to? I wish we had seen that scene of it's probably Black Widow flying back just to the, the square <laughs> and like wandering around, like looking <laughs> behind the a fountain. Tree. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in a tree, ordering shield agents to like climb that ladder there. <laughs> I think that would be so funny. Un- unwitting German children <laughs> playing with it in the streets of Stuttgart. <laughs> Using it as a limbo stick. Uh, right. <laughs> and then, yeah, then they complain to their parents when she comes in and takes their new toy. Totally. <laughs> the mean lady took her stuff. Oh, <laughs> uh, this is where we get uh, Mr. Stark and Captain. This is the uh, the official introduction between Steve and Tony right here. Um, their relationship, this is kind of the start of them as a thing, and it will take us all the way through Civil War and beyond. But I like here when they meet each other. I just I like that there is this sense of acknowledgement. They both know who the other is and they both kind of are being polite with each other. I like the way that that the way that it ends up playing. I, I think that it shows there's some respect between the two of them. That's consistent with what Steve has done. I mean, calling Natasha Romanoff ma'am as soon as he meets her, which she's not a ma'am, but OK. And for him to. Give Mr. Stark, like, he's not a mister. No, but it's very nice of you to give him that level of respect. And there's also a level of professionalism here, which is going to speak to something that has to be overcome in the rest of the movie. Originally, Steve, as a soldier, is more willing to have a a camaraderie, a a sense of um, unit cohesion. And Tony is going to be a little bit more standoffish, Captain. He doesn't use a name. It's just his title. This is a very professional. I'm here as a courtesy to S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm here because I want to be. I'm not here to get involved. I'm here to win. I'm not here to make friends, that kind of stuff. The the two of them are, I mean, it's just great. And I, I like the way that uh, Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr., they play off of each other really well. Like, mm-hmm. it, there's this natural um, friendship with some tension and kind of a little, I don't know, it just, it works well in the way that their relationship kind of continues evolving. I, I do like that. It's one of the great on-screen relationships as antagonistic as it gets eventually they are one of the great cinematic like duos for me like in terms of odd couples they just work steve rogers and tony stark just works it's the perfect amount of uh just sort of uh mutual affection and uh and grief that they are able to give each other and it works all the way to endgame like it makes it makes Endgame that much more uh, resonant to me because of of how we get to watch them as men have re- a relationship together that goes through all the crazy cycles of masculine relationships. And and that's uh, it's really special. And it all starts right here. So much of it is just like how these guys choose to play this these parts. And I, I think it's it's so smart. It's so smart. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we go from here. Uh, Loki has given up, and now we cut to the skies. We're flying over some mountains. It's very cloudy, and uh, the plane is very low as it's as it's flying. And we cut into the cockpit, and Natasha is talking to uh, Fury, who is wondering if he's said anything, and she says not a word. And then Fury says, just get him here. We're low on time. I guess 
I guess there's a ticking clock as far as getting the Tesseract, but it's more, it's not like something's going to happen. It's more just to stop them from doing something, right? I mean, it's it's not like they have any suspicion that something, like, it was. it's interesting to pitch it this way, where we're low on time. I don't know, Is it doesn't feel like anything is set up where we've only got X amount of time before something happens. They've parked the helicarrier over London and the meter's about to run out, so... Yeah, they're, right. They're low on <laughs> those, time. Those, those, yeah, the that's camouflage shielding actually is wow. a battery. It's run on oh. battery. That has to be recharged. We're running out of D cell batteries. We didn't bring it up. They're going to be visible. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 an interesting little line, but yeah, it's it's that's just a that's a movie line. I mean that that is something that's in there for the sake of keeping the forward momentum of the movie going. Does it end up feeling like a false ticking clock, though? I mean, and I guess that's the thing, because, I mean, a ticking clock is very much a scripted a scripting tool when you're writing a movie. You put a ticking clock in there where something is going to happen. It gives your characters a sense of stakes. They have X amount of time to get something mm-hmm. done, and everything now is amped up. I mean, if you have a—if there's no ticking clock and they have all the time in the world to get something done, that it really kind of diminishes the pace of your story, and it doesn't make it as exciting— and I just wonder, is this just like a false ticking clock that's written in here to be a ticking clock without actually giving us a ticking clock? It's a reference to a clock that nothing comes of this line. We we never return back to this. I think it's just a sense of, okay, we have to hurry up and, and get Loki back. Yeah. Because Fury knows what it's like when his schedule is too crowded. And he knows he has a window right now. And he <laughs> wants to talk right now. So hurry up. Because he's a busy guy. So get him here. Yeah. You don't get to Nick Fury's position without having really good boundaries. (laughs) That's right. That's right. He learned his lesson in his big week. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's all about time blocking. In terms of in terms of well, hold on. In terms of time management, I just do want to commend the filmmakers for how efficient this last bit of this minute is, because there's a lot that's established in very quick succession. With the Quinjet flying away, it indicates okay, everything got wrapped up in Stuttgart. It wasn't. There's no then extended negotiation with Loki, like what's going to happen next. They're clearly flying away on the radio with Fury. At the end of the conversation, indicates that a report has been given, and that the opening question makes it clear that Loki is now captive and that all logically follows together and creates the 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 tense scenario now like okay we've resolved that situation but we're still in transition now and the efficiency with which that's all done is really good because it's transitioning from the fight in Stuttgart to what has to happen next there's so much that they have to do to have that appearance of Thor make sense that Lesser filmmakers would have really dropped the ball on it. Yeah, for sure. I guess the only question that never does get answered is how much longer will it take for the Stuttgart police to arrive? <laughs> Some say they're still <laughs> driving there now. <laughs> take it to the grave, still. Andy. They're still looking. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's take a step back and, and have our little Christ in the Cape conversation about this minute. Well, so I, it's good that you say take a step back. I do want to take a... a bigger step back, not from anything in this minute specifically, but looking at the Avengers as a team-up movie, because that that is what's really exciting about this movie, and something that 
Marvel had to do well for the movie to work. Why is it that we're so excited by the idea of our heroes teaming up? Not just the Avengers, but also the Justice League, the Guardians of the Galaxy, the Defenders, the whatever-ers, you know, take your pick. We love to see our heroes coming together. In part, it's because we love to see the personalities bouncing off each other, taking these characters that we know and seeing how they interact with these other strong personalities. What happens when the main characters in their solo storyline suddenly are thrown into this communitarian mix? It's also fun to see the power sets interact with each other. And that's one of the fun things about this movie is seeing these heroes play off of each other and be able to get those cool combo moves uh, that delight our inner nerds. It also raises the stakes because the villains are too powerful for individual heroes to beat. And I think we touched on this last minute and this minute, Loki's too much for Cap to handle on his own. He needs another hero to help him face this threat because it's too much otherwise. And that doesn't lessen Cap. It's odd. Iron Man comes in and the situation is resolved, but there's nothing taken away from what Captain America has done because of that. He is not less of a hero because another hero shows up. And that's what makes a good team-up movie. The heroes feel more heroic when they're working together. They can be more themselves because they have these other heroes to bounce off of. And that that speaks to a a truth that the, the Christian tradition has always held to, that we are more ourselves when we are in communion with each other. No man is an island. We are made to be in relationship with one another. We're made for collaboration. Uh, the, the, uh, the Christian tradition holds to the idea of a Trinitarian God, one divine nature, but three interpenetrating persons who do not stand apart from each other as separate beings, but are mysteriously one in God. And so that interplay of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the image that is reflected in the human person, that we are made for give and take. We're made for relationship, to give ourselves to the other and to receive from the other. And finding our way, our best way of doing that, well, the stakes for that are nothing less than the flourishing of the human race. If we're, if we're made to be in communion with each other, we need to find a way to really do live with each other. We need a clear expression of that divine image. And that the Christian tradition holds out in the person of Jesus. You have this ultimate team-up moment, a human nature and a divine nature united in the divine person of Jesus, that God comes alongside us. As it says in the Gospel of John, he became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, And the coming of God doesn't take anything away from humanity, but makes humanity more itself. And that's expressed in the communion of saints. Uh, I, I love being Catholic because I love the tradition we have of all the holy men and women up and down the years who have witnessed to that flourishing of human life that's possible in Jesus. Because they come from all different walks of life. You have the hermits out in the desert. You have the religious women gathered in a community. 
You have people serving in the gutters of Calcutta. You have popes and bishops leading the church. You have uh, kings and queens in medieval Europe. You have doctors and nurses who are giving themselves in care for the sick. All different walks of life, all different vocations, all united around the common cause, that union with Jesus. And that communion of the saints shows something that a single saint's life doesn't really capture. Uh, we love to hear stories when saints meet. You know, the image that comes to mind is that of Pope John Paul II and Mother Teresa. To see those two people together in the late 90s awakened something in a lot of people. Here are two people doing good in the world, and now they're together. What more could possibly happen? And all that, uh, and all that is what we love to see when our heroes team up. They've done good individually. Now, how much more can they do when they join together? And, and even Jesus witnessed to this. He was never alone. He gathered disciples around himself and had those intimate friendships with the twelve. And that communitarian, that communal nature of our humanity comes alive when we're able to see heroes come together to fight the bad guys and push back the invading alien force again and again and again and again. I love it because the first, I think that was the original title of, of this, was The the Disciples. <laughs> Marvel's The Disciples. That they were all going to be in awesome outfits. Yeah, then, then the uh, the market testing uh, didn't, didn't come back so hot on that, unfortunately. <laughs> it didn't play as well. Right. But you put a shield with a star on it in the movie and suddenly, <laughs> bingo! <laughs> No, I like that. And actually, that's it's interesting because there is something about the idea of team-ups and bringing these teams together, but then what they've uh, done in interesting ways is explore the dynamics of those teams and how, like, the strengths and weaknesses that we get over the course of multiple films. And it, that is kind of an interesting element that I like seeing that they're thinking about, you know, behind the scenes. For sure. Uh, this is the end of minute 43, but uh, I know there was a minute, a few minutes from now that you did not manage to get. Uh, minute 45 has a, a key conversation, and um, I said, you know what, I know you didn't get to join us on, or you're not going to get to join us on that particular minute, but hey, we're going to talk to you about it anyway. But hey, I'm Andy Nelson. I'm a benevolent dictator. Hooray! I'll take it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, Yes. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this minute. It is, of course, the moment after Thor has taken Loki and flown off with him, and Iron Man takes off after them, and Captain America grabs a parachute and uh, is talking to Natasha, who doesn't think it's necessarily a good idea for him to jump into the fray, because these guys are basically gods. There's only one god, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Uh, I can't. No, I was thinking, I can't remember... From my appearances on Captain America Minute, if we talked about my favorite Captain America moment, because if I said something other than this minute, I, I was wrong and I was in a, in, on, <laughs> undergoing a hallucination. But this, this is my favorite Captain America moment. This is moment. the minute. <laughs> uh, boy, of course, it, it appeals to my, uh, to my theistic uh, bias to hear Captain America profess a belief in the one true God and the just the way with with which the scene is delivered. I love first the the seeds of the relationship between Romanoff and Rogers that's 
sown here that'll pay off dividends in The Winter Soldier, where we can see how these two characters can play off of each other. And there's a uh, a give and take in their relationship where there is a concern that Natasha has for the old man who was frozen for 70 years. And I also love the the simplicity of of Steve's approach to this and shows his own approach to life. He is willing to jump into a fist fight that he knows he might lose because he wasn't doing so hot against Loki. Now there are two of them. This is getting out of hand. But he demonstrates that old kind of mid-century Americana, well, you know, ma'am, God, country, and apple pie kind of sense that demonstrates, like, this is why I can jump into this. There's only one God. He doesn't dress like that. These guys, I don't know what they are, but they're not God. And that speaks to uh, the the source of Christian courage. And I, I mentioned this in yesterday's minute. The martyr, the witness, gives testimony that nothing in the world is more powerful than God, and that any force given in response to that, any force that tries to kill the martyr, just shows the poverty of the ways of the world. And so Steve, in professing this this belief in one God, shows that he's not afraid of these self-named, uh, self-proclaimed gods from Asgard. And so he's able to jump out of plane. Now, he does jump out of the plane with a parachute this time. He'll learn his lesson eventually. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but he still does demonstrate a uh, a very solid worldview and an understanding of what is and is not worth worrying about. It's it's very interesting. I, I I like that there is this sense. It is interesting because you know I mean in our Thor season you know we talked about the fact that you know these guys aren't really gods. They're just these other super powerful aliens. They live a long time. People on Earth thought that they were gods and saw them as such, but they're not really. And then by the time we get to Thor Love and Thunder, I'm not sure if the messaging is as clear anymore. <laughs> uh, I don't know if we want to save our conversation for years down the road when we finally talk about that. But I do wonder, just out of curiosity, just like the scope of God and gods in a movie like this, like how how does that play for you as far as like the, the way that they're exploring all of this and, and finding a way to, I guess, include everything? Well, Leaving Love and Thunder aside, because, boy, there's a lot to say about that movie. Just on what we've seen so far, the way they've treated uh, lowercase g, God, and God so far has been more metaphoric, more in the, excuse me, more in the sense of the Olympian gods, that these are larger-than-life figures, not that they have a divine power that is beyond the ken of humankind, because that that is the fear of the pagan gods, that they have powers over the things of the world. The fear of God that the, the Hebrew scriptures talk about uh, is more of a, a numinous sense, more of an existential feeling, which is not the kind of dread that is evoked by Thor and Loki. I, I don't question my contingency when I'm in the presence of Thor and Loki. I, I'm not suddenly aware that I am not but dust in the face of this mystery I cannot comprehend. It's like, mm, that guy's real strong, uh, and he can throw lightning. Mm, that's going to be a problem. I can't really deal with that. And that that is part of the uh, part of what makes the Marvel team up work, that these gods are superheroes and they're more akin to DC heroes than they are to your average citizen of the Marvel universe. And that makes them unique in that regard. Regarding the, the divinity 
question. I think this movie provides an answer again in minutes that I'm not on for. Oh, there's just there's so much good stuff. <laughs> but in in the speech that Thor gives to Loki about what it means to rule and what it means to be king, mm. speaks to a uh, a hum a humble king, a humility led approach to ruling and service that. Loki doesn't understand because he buys way too much into this God talk and uh, gathers way more importance to his cause than he really should. Certainly more than he like it, it seems like so much of his God talk, though, comes from his ancestry. Like he feels mm -hmm. there's so much like I am king. I should yes. be. I should be the all things to everyone. Mm -hmm. And and that capital S should is what gets him is what one makes him interesting and two gets him into trouble. Mm hmm. It becomes such an interesting thing to kind of explore in the scope of all of this, the idea of, you know, what is a lowercase g god uh, and how does it fit into this universe? Yeah. Um, is in some capacity, could you argue, you know, Steve Rogers might be also called a lowercase g god. I mean, he is a super guy. He yeah. lives a really long time. You know, it, it's an interesting element that they kind of uh they end up you know including and and kind of um i don't know lead, leads to a lot of interesting conversations for mm -hmm. sure for sure he's you could argue he's a demigod i mean certainly at the level of hercules yeah right absolutely yeah well, this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. We are always thrilled to have you here, Father David. Uh, just so many interesting points to discuss and great minutes to talk about with you. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Well, we appreciate it. We're going to have you back later in the season, I believe. Yeah, I got to stay behind here in Stuttgart. I'll catch up with you in, in New York. <laughs> <laughs> right, <Excellent>. well, eventually. <laughs> Should be good. We'll still be looking up. <laughs> That's right. Tell us again um, where people can uh, track you down out there on the internet. You can track me down at my website, fatherdavidmowry.com. That's F-A-T-H-E-R, David, M-O-W-R-Y.com. Uh, in addition to my Movies by Minutes podcast guest appearances, I've also been recording my Sunday homilies. So if you want to hear more in the vein of Christ in the Cape, but more on the Christ side and less on the Cape side, uh, you can check out uh, the homilies tab there on my website. That is fantastic. We'll have that in the show notes along with the other links for Father David. So check that out, everybody. And again, if you're not seeing the show notes in your podcatcher, just check them out on our website, marvelmovieminute.com. We'll be back tomorrow with some other guests for Minute uh, 44 through 48. It's uh, Nathan Blackwell and Chrissy Lenz for the Most Excellent 80s Movies podcast. Should be a lot of fun to talk with them. And so uh, we'll see you then. Pete, thanks as always. Just remember, Andy, freedom doesn't kneel. Is the shirt done yet? <laughs> Almost. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Until next time, true believers. <laughs>